once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 323 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, June 22nd, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, June 26th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everyone. All right, Tony, let's jump right in. We have a lot of news to cover. Tell us what we've got in store this week. This week, we're trekking out a veritable boatload of Discovery Trek nuggets being teased by Entertainment Weekly. Oh, and a little thing called the premiere date has been announced, too. In Star Trek Online news, a couple of favorite ships have had facelifts, and a new Admiralty campaign will be making its way into the game soon, TM. Later, our science advisor, Dr. Hurd, is here with another report from the Astrometrics Lab. And of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open up our hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, like I said last week, we always keep our hailing frequencies open for your messages. So be sure to find us on social media like Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or on Twitter at priority one pod. Or you can even send us an email to incoming at priority one podcast.com. We may feature your submission on the show. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Please help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Captains, you're going to want to pick up the next issue of Entertainment Weekly, which hits newsstands on June 30th, or digitally available on June 24th. Why, you ask? Because it seems as though they have a small starship full of exclusives from Star Trek Discovery. In order to generate buzz about the issue, Entertainment Weekly has already begun teasing the contents of the issue. So let's do a brief recap of the teasers, and we'll revisit the issue again next week should we discover any... Trek Nuggets of Gold. For starters, Entertainment Weekly spoke with the showrunners Aaron Harberts and Gretchen J. Berg about the delays that overshadowed the production over the last year. It seems that the sets and costumes have been designed and manufactured from scratch. In the interview, Harberts explained, quote, There's so much artistry and custom craftsmanship that go into every prop, every costume, every set. We flew a costume designer to Switzerland to pick up the fabric for the Starfleet uniforms. Several items on our uniforms are 3D printed. Some of our sets can take over six weeks to make. CBS has given us the time and the money to make something the fans will find worthwhile, end quote. 
According to EW, Berg added, quote, You can't cut corners or have 95% of what's on screen be completely original and inspired, and then have 5% something you bought at a store. It has to be cohesive, and it is. I'm so proud of what's on screen, it's so beautiful, and it's taking world building to a whole new level, end quote. Now, in case this hasn't already been cleared up for you, the bridge that we saw in the teaser trailer a few weeks ago is not the Discovery, but it's the older USS Shenzo. The only glimpse of Discovery's bridge that we get is in an exclusive image released by EW of Jason Isaacs as Captain Lorca. So they flew someone to Switzerland <sighs> to pick up oh, material for costumes. Oh, come on. That is insanity. Why Why are they spending the money on this? Nobody cares about the costumes. I want them to spend money on people who are going to write great stories, who are going to direct great episodes, and are going to produce great TV. Dude, cut corners on the costumes. I would like to point out that on Enterprise Bridge, all those screens were real. Like they actually just you know the the LCD from 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 the series Enterprise from the series Enterprise LCD technology was just sort of taken off at that point, early two thousands. Those were all for the first time real screens that had blinky things on them and stuff like that. Now they're probably a few hundred dollars a pop, but they were practical effects. So don't I think maybe you know don't discount the idea of having stuff that is real that looks good on camera is important. I mean, I, I, okay, but I, I, gotta, I agree with you. I, I uniforms. Agree with you, Uniforms for a pseudo-military organization are not expensive. They are they are meant to be durable, hard-wearing, fancy enough-ish. Well, they, but hold on. Uh, so, yes, I I see your point. They're supposed to be it's supposed to be function before appearance, right? But what in Star Trek? What are the most remembered things? of the franchise. It's the starships and it's the uniforms. Those two things are characters in and of themselves. So you can't skimp out on 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 the costumes. Now and now here's the thing like you think about something like TNG, right? With like the scant and then the pajama onesies. They could not like, decide what there's, color there's blue a, to wear. Right. There's been an there's always an evolution of what the uniforms look like, but a, a Star Trek uniform is as iconic as the characters and as iconic as a starship. So I, I appreciate that they're investing this amount of, of, uh, of effort into presenting something that is visually stunning. But to fly somebody out to Switzerland, I mean, that's, that's a lot. That, I mean, that's a plane ticket. The, 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 the fame, the, all of that, those accolades, all those things that you're talking about, they come after... The costume. They're not designed with that in mind. And, dude, did you watch the original series? Those costumes sucked, dude. <laughs> I mean, they were bad. They're iconic because they're attached to an iconic franchise. They're not iconic because they were iconic costumes. I just, I can't, this is, it's just such a phenomenal waste of energy, time, money. I mean, I, okay, I, if they can do all that and still produce a good show, great but like i would so just rather that money go into something else what i was gonna say was that the one thing that all the star trek costumes have in common is their simplicity with the exception of the monster maroon every single star trek costume is very simple 
There's they're clean. There's clean, simple lines. There's not a lot of clutter. There's not a lot of jingly bangly going on here. They're they're solid colors with big patches. These uniforms go in a completely different direction from that. I I don't think so. I do. I don't think so. The oh, the complexity, all the, stripes the, and the, the lines, thingies, and the stuff. You've got the braids on the top, and you've got the. Ask the your 3D. average cosplayer what they would what they'd rather. Well, uh, that's hold on a second. With. Are you talking as a cosplayer who wants to design these costumes yourself, or are you talking as, as you know, when you say the simplicity? Yeah, it was one or two colors, and that was it. But this is still a simple design. It's what the intricacy is is the pattern happening uh, along the rib cage, along the, the torso of the body, which is very complex. Which yes, is something I mean, you're yeah, only going to see in close up in HD, which is what we're filming in in this in these modern age. I get it, but I think my my overall point was with that is that they are thinking about very much how these things are going to look on TV. They're very much making this a a spectacle of eye candy. And that is a production decision that that we know we know they have taken. From well, step we have to one also to point forward. out that we are in a different era of television. And you mentioned it. You, you said the buzzword a moment ago, Tony. Everything is in HD, right? I, I mean, if you watch the Next Generation or the original series in in its remastered or high definition versions. You'll, you know, you start to see some of the, you know, you start to see some of where they cut corners, right? You start to notice and pick up on these things. You can't afford to do that on in television today. You have to throw out that. You have to throw the money into the production because things are in four four K now. Right. But this is where we circle back to Ken's original point. Ken's original point was, and you, I'm going to give you the last word probably because we can move on. That they're spending the money on making things look awesome. God, I hope that they're spending at least that much money on making it good stories, because no amount of eye candy is going to make up for that. Yeah, and my 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 point is that there's got to be something that's between TOS and flying a guy out to Switzerland to pick up the fabric. There's got to there's the it, it feels to me that that there's that there's a, there's a sensible medium in there that is that is solid and good enough for HD that they can use that elsewhere. Now, speaking of the Starfleet uniforms. We'd be remiss to not point out that trekmovie.com put together a phenomenal infographic outlining the costume in just by watching the teaser trailer and the the images that have been released so far. They've put together this high definition infographic of everything that can be seen so far of the uniform, the Starfleet uniform. It's gorgeous. If you are a cosplayer and you want to try your hand at designing this uniform, you're going to want to visit trekmovie.com and take a look at this very intricate and well-put-together infographic. We'll have links to it, of course, in the show notes. As we look at the infographic, we just pointed out before we got live on the air that the ranks are actually on the Delta, the Delta badges, which is a nice touch, I would think. It's a bit different and unique. I like it. Not in high definition. I don't want to, like... Poo-poo the uniforms. I think they look fantastic. I love the design of them. I think they look beautiful. I, I think it was... I'm not certain that you should have a producer bragging about how much money they spent on costumes when really what's going to make or break Trek is writing and uh, overall production. And it's on the rank thing, that's kind of against typical military convention. It should be easy to spot, like what we're saying, from long distance. You should be able to tell the difference between a lieutenant and a captain 
way far away so you know if you need to straighten up and fly right or get ready to come to attention or whatever so yeah a little more prominent would have been good Ken, I, I see what you're saying. Yes, it's it's one of those things that I think it might have been just a bad PR move to say, we spent a bajillion dollars on on sets and costumes, and we flew someone possibly first class in a private jet to Switzerland to pick up some fabric, a roll of fabric. I mean, I, we're over-exaggerating this, of course. But at at our core, what we want is is to know that the story is going to be solid. And we don't know much about the story because, of course, they're keeping that under wraps. Well, maybe not as we move on to the next segment. Well, uh, speaking of uniforms, the other person in a captain's uniform besides Michelle Yeoh is Jason Isaacs. Now, uh, EW put a picture up online. There's not much to it right now. Uh, Jason Isaacs is Captain Lorca sitting in his captain's chair in his handsome blue Starfleet uniform. Uh, the background is, of course, a glimpse of the Discovery's bridge, but it's out of focus. And it's interesting how they describe him as, quote, a steely Federation starship captain who's considered a brilliant military tactician, end quote. You know what I get the sense of from this guy is Crawl from Beyond. Y- yeah. Mm, right? Like, Crawl was a military... He was Mako, right? That's who, that's who Crawl was. He was a Mako officer in the era of... John Archer's Enterprise, and I kind of get this feeling from from Isaac's. And Isaac's characters are usually that kind of gruff. He's the bad guy, bad badass kind of character. You know, I don't know bad guy. I don't want to say bad guy, but he's gonna be. He's, he's gonna no be nonsense. Like, he's gonna be like mud. He's gonna be the the morally ambiguous guy that's going to challenge our Federation ideals and et cetera and stuff like that. He's a military tactician. He's gonna feed into Michael Burnham's worst impulses. You know, she wants to shoot first and ask questions later. And I mean, there's that's how that that's that's how he's gonna play in. But I did want to talk about uh, uh, the bridge setting. I was a little disappointed in what we could see. I was hoping that some of the the uh, teasings that have been going on about how we haven't seen the discovery yet, haven't seen the discovery yet, that it might have been uh, more clear that it was a step from the Kelvin visuals we've been seeing towards the 1960s sort of TOS aesthetic. From what we could see in the background, it, it didn't look like that was happening. Uh, I was hoping that we might. That I'm might sorry, I don't know that I understand what you're what you're saying. Well, remember we've talked a few a few times about how. We wish there was that sort of gradual step. You know, here's the Kelvin Bridge, and here's the Pike, Captain Pike Bridge on the Enterprise. Show me the middle step. I was sort of hoping that there was a lot of talk this week about how well, we haven't seen the Discovery yet. Well, now we have. We've seen the Discovery in the background, and it kind of looks. I didn't see any lens flare back know, there. Man. I, I I hate to tell you, but I can't I can't pick much up from that photo. I mean, it's so blurred that I mean, I see a turbo lift door in the background some tricolor panel looking thing behind him but it's hard for me to to pull so you're much saying there's hope what I'm saying there so you're saying there's hope I'm saying there's hope you know and and I, and I want to take a second to point out something that that Ken Ray had uh, put in the in the chat and generally everybody too is that yeah everybody agrees that story is where it matters but Ken Ray points that uh, I say cut corners on nothing the complaint has been that CBS doesn't care they're throwing down money to the contrary, which is a good point, right? CBS is obviously coughing up the dough for this, and they and they're vocal about it, right? They keep saying, "Oh, we've already made money off of this, off of Star Trek," uh, and CBS All Access because of Star Trek. 
obviously they're not if 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 they are putting that amount of of time and effort into into hd quality set design and costumes and creating this story it's hard it's hard to judge now at this point it, like after these ew photos and this ew exclusive it's hard for me to judge where this is this is gonna right now it's like the, it's i'm the meter is in the middle for me at this point i mean guys if, if you think about it if this was gonna be gumdrop buttons it, it wouldn't play it wouldn't play no it just gumdrop would, buttons it aren't gonna play no we know that but what but the the expense of showing it, it again let's 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 go on the let's go on the assumption they're going to do this the expense of showing us the evolution is probably justified because it will help old crotchety people like me uh get into the idea that there's going to be differences here and there between what we've what we know happens no happens uh in the pike kirk type era and the necessity of showing things in hd uh, expensive fabrics and Incredibly intricate detailing that you can only see from two inches away in in, in, in in HD glory. Okay, that's fine. That that would probably help me suspend my disbelief a little more and stop being distracted by the production values rather than letting it take me there. If 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 we're constantly going, look at the shiny chainmail on the side of the uniforms, rather than holy crap, she's going to get shot by that dude. That's I want it to help immerse me. I don't want it to take me out of it. No, not enough lens flare. TLDR, enough lens flare. That's what I'm saying. In another first look, we get a glimpse at one of the transporter pad designs. According to EW, what we see is, in fact, the pad aboard the Shenzo. However, there is a completely different design aboard the Discovery that we have not yet seen. Now, it looks like they're ready to beam down, and interestingly enough... They're wearing body armor, tactical uniforms, which I personally, I think is a really nice touch. I mean, there's, there's, there's a practicality that Star Trek has often missed, like beaming down to a dangerous situation with nothing more than a onesie and a hand phaser. Yeah. I, right. I mean, it's nice to see that it's there's a space onesie. This. Back off. <laughs> space onesie. It's space wool or probably space, space polyester. Space yeah. polyester. Space velour. Yeah. <laughs> So it's nice to see that they're thinking about this in their storytelling and that they have the money to put into this, to invest in saying, yo, let's let's armor them up. They're about to go into a hostile situation. It's time to armor them, them up. So here, for instance, is, an, is a moment where I'm glad they have that kind of money because now the, I don't have to suspend – I don't have to do as much suspension of disbelief, so to speak – because they're they've got the armor. Oh, this makes sense. Hey, they might actually have seatbelts. No, oh, hey, 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 easy. Let's not <laughs> go too far here. Now moving on, there's something that the article makes a point to describe, and it's the type of phaser in their holsters. The Entertainment Weekly article describes them as quote, old school, the original series phasers, end quote. Oh, it's there. So if you don't zoom in to the image, it's very difficult to see. However, if you enhance and enhance you start to kind of see that this does in fact look like an original TOS phaser it's there the handle angle from the uh, from the holster and then also that little settings dial that was on the uh, back top part of the uh, 1960s uh, phasers were there my only beef is that Captain Pike had different looking phasers they had sort of round ones or kind of a cylinder and the handle is at the back 
So that's my only beef. You know, they've got, they've got these, the transporter Yeah, but that's a, very, that's a very minor beef. I'm here to nitpick. I'm the you know, Star Trek nerd here to here to well, nitpick. Well, we'll talk. The thing is, we'll talk in uh, when we get into Star Trek Online news that you know the pilots they hadn't they hadn't really decided on the visual style left. There was a completely different Enterprise in in one of the I, not pilots. Completely, so, yeah, the details are there, but but I mean that's yeah, the sort of so, thing where yeah, I can I can forgive that. I you know maybe maybe some people will be carrying around those old school Captain Pike phasers. We'll, we'll run into them at some point. I'm hoping so. This is, you know, transition. They're they're retiring the old ones and, and bringing the new ones in. And the new ones are the, the ones from the TOS series that we we're, we are familiar with. But the, it, it is there. And I think that maybe another th- another pebble in the scale of they are going to transition us from Kelvin-style stuff to TOS-style stuff. Those transporter backgrounds look a lot more like the background of the, of the Enterprise-era transporter room. Kind of round and bubbly. You know, there's kind of a, a roundness and a bubble, rather than the columns that we kind of familiar with with uh, uh, TOS and beyond transporters. So maybe we'll see a different, more quote modern uh, look in the Discovery transporter room, and the Shenzhou one is the more old school that evolves from Enterprise. I think we're missing something important here, and that is that there are touchstones happening in Star Trek Discovery. For instance, the type of phaser. This is not the JJ Kelvin timeline phaser where it were like, you, it was like a it was a toy. The toy. Well, we was haven't a toy. seen the front of it yet. You can see the front of it pretty pretty clearly on on Michelle Yeoh's character. It's not satellite dish the way it was in the original series. So there is a slight modification, but it also it doesn't seem like it's got that little rotating disc thing that flips on you know on, on a spring-loaded thing so even so right it has the feel of the original series an original series phaser which the kelvin jj timeline phaser did not at all whatsoever other than it being looking like a pistol this obviously takes elements from the original series which i think is phenomenal i think is a great step i think these little touchstones are what are gonna make Trekkies go? Ooh, this is Star Trek is from the original series. <laughs> the way Stewie does when he when he uh, visits the Star Trek convention. <laughs> he said that thing he said on the show. <laughs> I'm looking at that picture now, and I'm not doing that. So I mean, I, you, Eric, let me let me reset your expectations just a tad, if I may. I'm, I'm doing sir. that inside because that is actually my favorite. Her inside there. voice. <laughs> And lastly, from this image, we do see the back of Lieutenant Saru's head. Whoop-de-doo. I wonder if he's smelling them for death. Like, imagine imagine serving under him. Excuse me, Lieutenant Saru, may I be excused to use the restroom? It might be best if you use the toilet in the medical bay. You'll need the doctor's assistance. A- actually, um, use the one closest to the chapel. You'll be moved to that room shortly thereafter. Good morning, sir. Wait, 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 you, you never say good morning. You, you always say good day. Am I not going to make it through the morning? What's, what's, what's the deal with that? What, what, are you, uh, what, are you, what are you hiding? It would be oh, awful. Like if he's just having like an off day and he's a little awkward to you and he greets you in the morning or he's a little bit distracted, you'd just be convinced. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, it's my day, no. isn't it? It's, it's today. today. It's today. It's today. It's my day. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, my God. Oh, dearie me. Well, there's another uh, piece that Entertainment Weekly did, which was talking to Sonequa Martin-Green about her character, Michael Burnham. So for starters, it seems that Entertainment Weekly knows something that we don't because they confirm that it is, in fact, deliberately a man's name. Additionally, we get some clarification about this character's backstory. For starters, she's fully human and not a hybrid like Spock. According to EW, she is the first human to attend the Vulcan Learning Center and then the Vulcan Science Academy. So in this interview, Martin Green explains this about her new character, quote, I have an inner war and it's a journey of self-discovery and finding out what it means to be alive, to be human, to be a Starfleet officer, what it means to be a hero. I have the Vulcan conflict in my life from Sarek and Amanda, so there's always going to be that inner conflict with me. But I think it's relatable because we all have some kind of inner conflict going on, who we are versus who we present ourselves to be. There's a lot to be discovered. End quote. When the issue about racism towards the new series was brought up to her, Martin Green had this to say. Quote, Well, I would encourage them to key into the essence and spirit of Star Trek that has made it the legacy that it is. And that's looking across the way to the person sitting in front of you and realizing you are the same. That they are not separate from you, and we are all one. That's something Star Trek has always upheld, and I completely believe that is why it's been a mainstay in society, in the hearts of so many people for so many decades. I would encourage them to look past their opinions and social conditioning and key into what we're doing which is telling a story about humanity that will hopefully bring us all together, end quote. So one point that I really wanted to pull out of this, she talks about the Vulcan conflict from Sarek and Amanda, and I want to know more about that. That's all I'll say, (laughs) because probably by the time this show comes out, we will already know. However, I I would like to know more. I want to know what's going on there. You know what? You know, if, if... You watch Star Trek, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that Amanda is a bit of a rebel, right, to Sarek, right? She, she, wants, she wants Spock to feel emotion and not ignore his human side. So I kind of get the sense that maybe it's like a good cop, bad cop kind of parenting and, or, you know, parenting, adoptive parents, whatever the, whatever the story may be. And Amanda encourages Michael to express her emotions and ex- and be human. Where, where have Sarek we seen like, this before? Mm. Where have we seen... Oh, I know! With Spock! Oh, that's right! It's almost exactly like we've, we've done this before. Now, golly, if only we could like have different characters and a new way of different... Uh, I don't... Crazy. You know what, that's Tony? Crazy. Look, man, after... Crazy. after it, it's you. Look, I, I am at this point suspending my my apprehension towards the series after what has been released via Entertainment Weekly. I mean the the uniforms look good. They're they're ready for high definition. This is moving Star Trek into a into a new era and I'm I'm drinking the cool I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm starting I, to drink I it. have never lost faith because of two words Nick Meyer. That's there we there I mean that's it. I mean I, I he will uh, always gets the benefit of that with me. What I'm saying though uh, I'm going to be a broken record on this. We're recycling a lot of things. Some things are good to recycle. Touchstones, hand phasers, you know, that kind of thing. We're in that era, man. We're in that era, bro. 
Look at Star. Look at the latest Star Wars movie, man. It was a bigger Death Star for Pete's sake. It was just a bigger Death uh, okay, Star. Okay. Come on, <laughs> we're in that era. There's there's touchstoning, and then there's blatant ripoff of the old one, where Good even the Force God. Awakens was basically a retread of uh, A New Hope. Okay, okay. But, you know what? I'll back down. But I'll you back see, down. and now here's the thing. Here's the thing. We were talking earlier about all this money being spent on the material. You know who's going to open his mouth the moment that the visual effects take over the story? Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer is going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. It doesn't matter that the phaser shines in 10 different colors. What matters is how it got to that point. So I agree with you. Nicholas Meyer is going to be there to, to say, it doesn't matter how much money. It doesn't matter that we send somebody to Switzerland to pick up blue fabric. What matters is Nicholas Meyer is going to be there to, to call it out. Call out that. We believe in you, St. Nick. I know. Jeez. Okay, well, like we mentioned earlier, there seems to be a lot more content regarding Star Trek Discovery in the June 30th issue of Entertainment Weekly. We'll be picking up a copy to make sure we don't miss anything important, and we'll share it with you next week. Speaking of important, and all the things we say are important, some very important news was, in fact, announced this week regarding Discovery. Captains, we have a hard release date. That's right. <laughs> That's right. A Start your party certain. planning. Mm-hmm. Date certain, according to StarTrek.com. So set your DVRs for the broadcast premiere on Sunday, September 24th, at um, approximately sometime between 8.30 and 9.30 Eastern Time. That's because there's football. Priorities. Priorities, people. Priorities. The first and second episode will also be available on CBS All Access following the television broadcast premiere. Are you in Canada? Would you like to be? Well, if you are, the Space Channel will launch the first two episodes on Sunday, September 24th, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and will also run on the channel on Sundays thereafter. You can also watch them on space.ca and the Space Go app. For the rest of the world, you have to wait till Monday, September 25th, to catch it on Netflix. Golly gee, this is complicated. <laughs> Honestly, visit StarTrek.com for those listings again if anything was unclear because uh, I'm not sure that Elijah understood it when he wrote it, but I think I get it. But what we do understand is that the season is going to be split into, get ready, two chapters with a mid-season break. That's right. So chapter one will air uh. weekly. That's right. So between September 24th and November 5th, we will get uh, Chapter 1. And then there's a mid-season winter break. And then we'll get Chapter 2, picking up sometime in January 2018. No official release date. Man, am I tired of being right. I hate these mid-season breaks, man. Yeah, but the thing about it, every show's doing it now. Is it has it always been this way? Has it has it always been this way? Has television always been this way that there's a mid season? No. Break? Yeah, there's usually been a hiatus around Christmas and they pick it up because well, yeah, no, a like whole a bunch month, of shows get canceled a month and, and a half? replaced. Because uh, ev- AMC, everything on AMC is there's a mid season break. Anything on anything on, on any of the major channels has this month and a half long season break from all of December and half of half of January. Walking Dead drives me nuts because then they do this stupid cliffhanger and it's like, you don't find out until February. <laughs> they, it drives me bananas. Bananas. Well, there's two things going on here. Number one is that. Uh, they want to drive Elijah insane. The second thing is that, of course, that November 5th is the weekend 
the first weekend, uh, the first uh, weekend in November. So they're going to get you for your November uh, thing, and then you've got December, so you can cancel your December all access subscription and then pick it up again in January. Nobody's going to do that. Exactly. So basically, they're going to get three months of CBS all access subscription fees, and you will get probably two episodes. So well played, Bean Counters. Well played. I don't like it being on Sunday. I'm sorry. I need to Why? just say that. I don't like it being on Sunday. Uh, For one Sunday thing, it might conflict with Game of Thrones. It really screws up with our <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it really screws up. Basically, yes. That's part, and it part, might conflict with Game of Thrones. Like, or Walking Dead. At least the end. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's a good day for TV. I don't know. It's a pain in the butt for me because Sunday is my busy night. I'm, I'm almost at my busiest on Sunday night. Well, fortunately, with CBS All Access, you can access it at any time. It's at your convenience after Sunday. You can you know, actually, watch it you, we, in the morning. We bring up a good point here is that is that Star Trek Discovery is going to go up against Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, anything else that's coming out. Because Sunday night, for whatever reason, is the new prime time for, for these big shows. And and that's that's uh, that takes some cojones, to be honest with you. No, to go up against... Demand. To go up, yeah, it's on demand. Like, yeah, I suppose. So you don't have to watch. You can you can go watch Walking Dead live and then go watch CBS All Access for Star Trek Discovery. But I mean, to throw it in that time slot, they're they're they've they're they must really think that Star Trek Discovery is gonna hold its own, uh, you know, in comparison to something like Walking Dead or Game of Thrones or whatever's on at that time because that Sunday night is prime time now. Well, they'll know because there'll be a huge there'll be a spike on Sunday night, but a little one because everyone watches is watching Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, and then there'll be a slightly a, a new a new spike on Monday uh, when people have already watched those other shows and they get to Star Trek. Or there'll be a big spike of people watching Star Trek and HBO people are going to be like, "Aw." But no, that's not going to happen because people because Game of Thrones, come on. Now, captains, we want to remind you that if you do plan to subscribe to CBS All Access to watch Star Trek Discovery in the United States, we encourage you to do so via the links that are all over our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com. It is at no additional charge to you. CBS ends up paying us to speak nicely about CBS All Access, but we don't. And that's okay, but we're Star Trek fans. As long as we fans, bring in the customers. But we're Star we Trek fans, and we are going to have to subscribe to CBS All Access because we have to provide the news for Star Trek. So, you know, we're, if you're going to subscribe, if you're going to do it, please do it through PriorityOnePodcast.com. Click on those affiliate links. It's at no additional charge to you. Uh, CBS is who gives us the kickback if you do begin your subscription through us. So we would appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, while we are talking about premieres, The Orville, Seth MacFarlane's comedic science fiction series, is set to premiere in September with two special premieres, one on September 10th at 8 p.m. and the second on September 17th at 8 p.m. as well. And the series premiere is on September 28th at 9 p.m. following Gotham. In non-discovery news... Due to new regulations on fan films, the creators of the fan-produced web series Star Trek Continues will be cutting their season short, from 13 episodes down to 11. However, 
that hasn't stopped them from acquiring some big names in the Star Trek mythos. Coming on for Episode 9, due out by the end of July, is Star Trek veteran John Delancey, best known for his role as Q in Star Trek The Next Generation. I do want to mention, actually, Elijah, that John Delancey will not be reprising his role as Q. He's going to be a different character in that episode. It won't be Q, but he will be, he will be in it. And, you know, despite my reservations of accepting them as the ongoing voyages of Star Trek, the original series, with a different actor playing, you know, Vic Mignogna playing Kirk on board a replica of the 1966 stage, I, it's still a, it's still a very well-produced and well-written series by fans. So if you haven't already given Star Trek Continues a shot do so because they they put in a lot of love and and passion into this production and they do some quality work and on top of that you get to see some very notable star trek actors play different roles but still a part of this particular multiverse well that wraps it up in the news from the multiverse it's time to trek out what happened in star trek online computer status report status incoming message I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome once again to Stow News, where we're catching you up on all the latest news in Star Trek Online. Our big story this week is that a whole slew of new updates and variants have been made available for customizing your Constitution class or Miranda class starships. Some of these have been hotly anticipated for a long time. We'll start off with the updated model available for the Constitution class refit because that's the one that's probably the most popular. For those of you not experts on the differences between all of the Enterprises, this is the one with the angular rather than round nacelles. None of these rotating Bussard collector businesses. Mm. This is the glowing blue deflector shield on the front. For many Star Trek fans, this iteration of the ship is their favorite, having been featured in the motion picture Wrath of Khan before being destroyed in Star Trek III, Search of Spock, and plus appearing in Star Treks 4, 5, and 6 as the Enterprise A. It's been in Star Trek Online for a while, but now the new model has been refreshed to be more in line with recent Starship releases. A new skin is also available, the Type 8B skin. That makes it look a little more in line with later screen representations of that class of ship. But that's not all. In addition to the Constitution class refit, lead ship artist Thomas Moroni has also included new parts so you can recreate the Enterprise as seen in the second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before. This one is only subtly different from the Enterprise we saw for the rest of the original series, but true Starship buffs will welcome the options anyway. The subtle needles on the front of the nacelles, the lack of uh, bubbly parts on the back of the nacelles, the slightly different bridge module, it's all there. It's for the, it's for the discriminating connoisseur of Starship parts. Uh, all the new parts are interchangeable with the existing parts of the Constitution class, and you can use the new Type 8B skin on it as well. All these updates are available now to players who already own either the Cruiser, Cruiser Refit, or the Tier 6 Temporal Light Cruiser, a.k.a. the Tier 6 Connie. But that is still not all. In addition to the changes to the Constitution class Refit model, we're also getting some updates to the Miranda class model. First up, the parts for the Soyuz class have been made available for players purchasing the Tier 6 Fleet Advanced Light Cruiser. Basically, if you have a Tier 6 Miranda, you can make it into a Soyuz. 
It was the USS Bozeman, the ship that comes out of a localized distortion in the space-time continuum. With Captain Fraser Crane. This is the episode where the Bozeman repeatedly collides with the Enterprise, destroying it over and over and over and over as they're caught in a causality loop. So another nice little nod to an obscure cannon with one N ship. In addition to the Soyuz parts, there are also some additional screen-accurate parts for the Miranda class, the Beta Saucer and nacelles, with the new Type 8B material, give it the look of the Miranda refit seen in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And finally, there's a new Miranda Beta Strut. According to the blog post detailing all of these changes, quote, When we announced the revamp of the classic Miranda, some players were sad to see Cryptic's update of the Miranda's roll bar disappear. So we've created a new version of the strut that has the embedded deflector dish on it as an homage to the way the ship looked at the launch of STO, end quote. Is that an homage or an homage? It's an homage. It's an homage, yes. I say homage. French for it's blatant ripoff, I believe is what that is. We do that at guard frequency quite a bit. But I just want to say, and I've already expressed this to Thomas via the Twitters, just how amazing that new Constitution skin is. Just absolutely beautiful. I mean, it is screen accurate to a T. I had a, a, a like a 14 or 16 inch model of of the Enterprise A when I was a kid. It was you know just carved and it was you know patterned off the actual model, and I spent hours with that thing. And this thing takes me back to when I was you know 10 or 11 years old with that model. I mean, it really, really, really looks amazing. Everyone should go buy this model. Just go get the Cruiser, the Cruiser Refit in the C-Store. I think it's only like five bucks, just so you can experience the level of detail uh, that they that they uh, put into this thing. It's amazing. And all of these changes are available in the game now. And also, just on time, as if it were planned that way, hmm... Guess what's currently running in an R&D pack promo in the C-Store? What is it, Kenna? Well, <laughs> well, it's only the Tier 6 Connie what? and some other stuff for some other factions. Uh, just kidding. The Tier 6 Temporal Light Cruiser, a.k.a. the Constitution Class, the D7 Temporal Light Battle Cruiser, and the Talis Temporal Warbird are available as random drops when opening a promotional research and development pack. Whenever you open one of these packs, in addition to the normal R&D materials, you'll also get either 10 low-buy crystals or, if you are exceedingly lucky, a requisition pack with your choice of the aforementioned ships. The promotional R&D packs are available in the C-Store now through the 5th of July, so be quick. In a long-awaited expansion to the Admiralty System slash minigame, a new campaign has been announced this week. Ferengi fans will now be able to undertake Admiralty missions for the Ferengi Commerce Alliance in order to win prizes, including Delithium and Gold Press Latinum. Completing all of the Tour of Duty assignments in this campaign will net you 30,000 Delithium ore, and upon reaching Tier 10, you'll be rewarded with the epic quality Admiralty card, Quark's Triumph a card that reduces the maintenance time for any ships you send on assignment with it. The Ferengi Admiralty campaign is due out on PC soon, TM, and should follow on console not long thereafter. So does this sound like something that's going to be in a, in a new seasonal update? Probably. Most likely. Yeah, because I just, I just, my spidey sense is tingling, because normally we don't get announcements of things like this until they're basically about to go live. Or 
are live in the case of a lot of the other things that we're talking about today. Very rarely do we get announcements of things that will happen soon unless we're gearing up for the next season launch or half season. It'll be half season, won't it? Possibly. Um, they spun Triple up. That sounds like more like a season to me. It's it, it's hard to know because like, they didn't do a season 12.5. They went straight from 12 to 13. So they're clearly trying to get uh, back on track with a you know their normal rhythm. So the next it, it could go either way. I suspect that the next release, whether it's a point five or a full season, will probably be around the middle to end of next month. Yeah, because it's that's normally when it happens. Finish up the Riza event and then move into the next thing, isn't it? Okay, well, we'll we'll keep an eye on it, and uh, anyone who's listening will let you know as soon as uh, as soon as we do. Now, while we're on the subject of money, because you know, Ferengi, if you've been thinking about getting a lifetime subscription to Star Trek Online, either for the PC or for the console, now's the time to do it. For a limited time, players can get a lifetime subscription for one hundred dollars off on PC. That's down from $299 to just $199. Local prices and savings may vary, of course. On console, the discount is 33%, which is basically the same as on PC. Now, just a friendly reminder that lifetime subscribers get a whole host of awesome goodies, including three Tier 5 ships and three Tier 6 ships, additional character, inventory, bank, and starship slots. The ability to play as a liberated Borg or Talaxian. 500 Zen per month and much, much more. We will, of course, have a link in the show notes to all of the benefits offered to lifetime subscribers. Now, we've said this before, and I know I've said it plenty of times over the last seven years, is that being a lifetime subscriber pays off for itself in the 500 Zen per month bonus that you get. In addition to all the other things that you get, you know, but the fact that you you get 500 Zen for free every month, the lifetime subscription pays for itself. And in, in what Tony, like, what have we said before? And, and Kenna, I mean, it's been we've been talking about this long uh, enough, a little over three. Well, I'm years. sure we've all said it. Uh, all right, so in over three years, it pays off for itself. But you also, but you you get you know you get the lifetime perks, right? You get all of these lifetime perks that you would otherwise be paying for monthly. I'm almost curious, you know, we'll never get these numbers, but I'm curious to know how many people are paying $15 a month for the game. I can't imagine that many people no. are. They, they want you to subscribe to Gold one time so that you have your credit card number on file. And so it's easier to make that sort of, you know, impulse purchase. But And so once they get that from you, they're okay with letting you have that Gold membership, all that stuff just stick permanently. But it's the recurring benefits of the uh, stipend and those ships. There's some pretty decent ships. Um and a lot of fun uh, to to fly with the lifetime membership. So, I can I can agree with Elijah. I got mine when they first announced free to play. Uh, I have never ever regretted it. Um, it's clearly paid for itself for me um, multiple times over because it was so long ago. But uh, but yeah, the sooner you buy it, the sooner it starts paying off. So the advice that I give to a lot of members in the Priority One Armada is if you're planning on playing the game over you know the long term you're going to be in it for years, then definitely go lifetime. Because it is just so worth it. But if you're only in it for a month or two, then, you know, obviously there's no point in going for it. 
but it does pay it back over time. And I just want to chime in and point out that you absolutely do not need a gold subscription and you do not need a lifetime subscription at all. Because I've I've never had a... Well, I won't say I'd never. I had a gold subscription for about two or three months. I think I actually made the 100 day because I kept forgetting to cancel it. There are some things that you unlock by doing that. I've always, always been free to play and I don't have a lifetime subscription and I still enjoy the game. So you absolutely don't need it. However... It is worth it. From everyone that I know that has got a lifetime subscription, it is worth having. You will enjoy it. You know, they don't push it often. And I'm surprised that they don't do, like, a contest again for winning a lifetime subscription. You know, like, oh, you know, your chance to win one of five lifetime subscriptions. Because they know you'll just win it again. You'll just... (laughs) Why do I need to win it again? I don't need to win it again. But, you know, they, they... I think that, especially now... You know, there are there's a new influx of Trekkies coming into the game. It might be time for for Cryptic and Perfect World to do another contest for a lifetime subscription, similarly to the way they did it when the game first launched, to generate some buzz about it. Because again, the lifetime subscription, if you can afford it, the two hundred dollars, and you intend to play this game for a while, pays off. It does pay off, and actually, it really pays off. If you're a player like me, where, you know, I log in for my daily chores, but I don't really log in and spend... I I log in and spend money every several months. I almost want to say every four to six months, I log in to want to spend money. And what's nice is that I've I've accrued a pile of Zen, and I technically don't have to open up my wallet. I'm like, oh, look at all the Zen I'm sitting on. Yeah, I can buy this ship. I will. I will actually splurge a little bit and spend this money or convert the Zen to dilithium and buy whatever fleet items I need or whatever uh, reputation items I need. So I'll give you a really good example. This last weekend or this last month or so, there was the upgrade weekend. I was sitting on a bunch of Zen that I converted into dilithium just so I can upgrade all the proper weapons I needed on my ship to ultra rare. And I was just sitting on it and accruing on it for months at a time. So it really does pay off in dividends. And again, just to be clear, we do not get any kickback from Star Trek Online, Perfect World, or Cryptic for supporting the lifetime membership or lifetime subscription. We are just saying this as gamers who love the game and appreciate it and know the value of what it is to have a lifetime membership. The lifetime subscription will be on sale from now, June 22nd, until July 27th, so don't wait. Act now. Speaking of veteran experiences in Star Trek Online, it's time for Winter's Weekly Top Tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to cover recruiting duty officers from Starfleet Academy and the Klingon Academy. As I'm sure many of you are aware, at each location there are three cultural exchange recruitment missions. On Starfleet Academy, they are Andorian, Tellarite, and Vulcan. On the Klingon Academy, they are Gorn, Nausicaan, and Orion. Each of these recruitment missions takes 20 hours to complete and can reward one duty officer for a normal success or up to three for a critical success. The remaining recruitment missions can be accessed by visiting the personnel officer at both academies. Once you interact with the personnel officer, select Submit Request for Personnel. 
This will then open up a list which contains general recruitment, tactical, engineering, science, civilian and R&D. Tactical, engineering, science and civilian will reward you with two duty officers each for a normal success or three duty officers for a critical success. The rarity of the duty officers can vary, but more often than not, your duty officers will be common. All of these recruitment missions take 48 hours to complete, and just like the cultural exchange missions, these missions do not cost you anything to run them. The R&D mission I will cover in a later top tip, but the general recruitment mission is a little different in that it costs you 1000 dilithium in order to run it, and there is no chance of a critical success. If you run this mission, you will get a duty officer pack rather than straight up duty officers. In my opinion, it is not worth spending the 1000 dilithium for a pack of random duty officers. All of these missions have a 24 hour cooldown before they can be run again, but it is a good idea to get into the habit of running these missions at the academy to help build up your duty officer roster. At the very least, recruiting these duty officers can be donated to your fleet and help build up your fleet credits. For more information, we will leave a link in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO323. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news. Now let's head to the Astrometrics Lab for another report from our science advisor, Dr. Hurt. This week's Astrometrics report falls in the realm of strange new worlds. And the world reported this month by astronomers is pretty strange indeed. If you follow the science of exoplanets, you're probably familiar with the term hot Jupiter. We use it to describe worlds that are as large as the planet Jupiter, but whose orbits are so close to their stars that it only takes them a matter of days to go around. This also means that they tend to be very, very toasty compared to any other planet that we know in our solar system. Well, the newly discovered exoplanet Kelt 9b takes hot Jupiter to a whole new level. With a dayside temperature estimated to be around 4,600 degrees Kelvin, it comes in at a little less than the surface temperature of our own sun, but hotter than most of the other stars in the galaxy. What makes this hot Jupiter so hot is the star that it's orbiting. About two and a half times the mass of our own sun, this A-type star has a surface temperature of about 10,000 degrees Kelvin. Since this newly discovered planet orbits only about one-tenth as far away from its star as Mercury does from our Sun, it has a lot of heat to soak up. Of course, the star Kelt 9 is interesting too. It's rotating so rapidly on its axis that it would appear squashed to us, much the way the planet Saturn does. And if you didn't realize the planet Saturn looks squashed, go back and look at some of those lovely images from Cassini and try to draw a perfect circle around the disk of the planet. Stars that are rotating this rapidly would actually appear a little brighter at the poles than at the equator, because the poles would physically be a little closer to the nuclear furnace at its center. This is called gravitational darkening. Another weird thing about this system is the orientation of the planet's orbit with respect to the rotation of the star. Now usually we would expect the orbit of the planets to basically fall in the same plane as the equator of the star. That's because, since they form from the same material, we would expect them to share the same rotation of that material. However, in this case, the rotational axis of the star is almost aligned with the plane of the orbit, almost 90 degrees off from where we would expect it to be. Because Kelt 9b is so hot and so close to its star, astronomers think it may be in the process of evaporating, 
with some of its material being blown away into a cometary tail. However, it probably won't have the time to evaporate completely. Stars as massive as KELT-9 burn through their nuclear fuel very, very quickly. It will only be a few hundred million years before KELT-9 swells up into a red giant and completely engulfs its poor, hot exoplanet companion. One other remarkable thing about this system is how it was discovered. The KELT telescopes are actually pretty tiny and look a lot more like a DSLR camera you would expect a photographer to be using rather than the large ground-based telescopes we usually think of when it comes to recent astronomy discoveries. These tiny telescopes survey the sky automatically, collecting data on millions and millions of stars. Every few months, the hard drives are sent in for analysis, and astronomers occasionally discover something cool and exciting, like the KELT-9 system. That wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Now let's go see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. And a big thanks to Dr. Robert Hurt for another report from the Astrometrics Lab. And we hope you have a wonderful vacation in Hawaii. Now, Captains, we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 322's community question was, how do you launch Star Trek Online? Through the ARC client, standalone, the new Razor Cortex, or some other way? Now, 2020 hindsight, I thought to myself, you know this probably would have been better as a poll. Mm -hmm. Alas, we did not do that. We had several, several, several replies from people all across our social media platforms chiming in. For instance, via Patreon, William Keeling said, ARK. Now, the responses we got from Twitter were actually a little more varied. Captain Revo says, ARK. Psyche1701 and Greg Willich said the standalone launcher. And then a number of people, including Captain B Money, a uh, nice name by the way, Eye Candy, Malcora, Mike Van Hoos, Rob, and Benji Warlick all said they're playing on Steam and there's been some pretty impressive hours logged between them. Michael Lagor says, I can do it via Cortana, which is a, mm. that's a new one. Computer, launch Star Trek Online. And Hayden Jones says, I am actually computerless and haven't played in a while, but I love listening to you all and hope to play again soon. Hashtag love your skits. Which I think Jake put in there because Jake writes the skits. Uh, no, no, he no. Did. Hayden, Hayden, Hayden did. Hayden's... Uh, no, 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 I mean, uh, Jake, Jake included the comment. Oh, the yes, hashtag. probably. Yes, yeah, yes, probably. Yes, yes. And a big shout out to, to Hayden. Hayden was working on a mobile app for us for a while. Uh, mm. But unfortunately, it just, you know, it did, we never got around to, to finishing it up. But uh, Hayden's been a longtime listener and longtime supporter of Priority One. Mm-hmm. And so we thank him for, for his ongoing support. Hopefully, we'll see you in the game again, Hayden. From Facebook, James Salette and AJ Biega, they play on ARC. Glenn Hine, Stuart Boyles, Cody Smith, they do the standalone launcher. Don Branham, Matthias Wutrich, Anthony Shane McEwen, and Kai Arn Reiter. All say Steam. And from Priority One Podcast, Decker73 and, shoo, it was a close one, Sean Newboy, thought we were going to get through this without him, uh, said uh, they both use a standalone launcher. That makes the grand totals three for ARC, seven for standalone, and ten for Steam. So guys, how do you log in? Standalone Standalone. launcher. I use ARC because they told me to use ARC. Um, Kenna, give me a hundred bucks. No. Whoa, whoa, she stood up to the man. Did you see what she just did there? (laughs) No, 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 but it's like, who cares? 
I mean, I guess I'm not on Steam for very many other things, so there's no particular reason I would use Steam, I suppose. What surprises me is so many other people did use Steam, but I guess if you're on Steam all the time anyway, that makes sense. Why does that surprise you? Steam is probably one of the, if not the, game plat- gaming platform for PC. I suppose I'm not a huge, huge PC gamer. I only go into Steam when I want to play a particular game. So, like, I'm playing Portal 2. I'll fire up Steam to play Portal 2. But st- for, for me, the, o- the only thing I launch out of ARC is Star Trek Online because it's the only ARC game that I play. So for me, ARC is the standalone launcher, I suppose, because I don't, I don't launch anything else out of it, and I only open it up when I'm about to play Star Trek Online. So, And you see, that's why I don't use ARC, because Star Trek Online is the only cryptic game that I play. Same. I mean, it used to be Champions, but I haven't played... I, I, if I don't log into Star Trek Online, I'm definitely not going to be logging into Champions. I'm not going to install a third-party application when I use Steam for all my other games. The only reason why I play Star Trek Online is not because it's an MMO, it's because it's Star Trek. That's the only reason. Uh, so I'm not interested in any of the other games from Cryptic. Sorry, but I'm not. And, and all the other features that come in with those type of launchers, including both Steam and Arc, are meant for MMO-type things. And so if you're just not interested, those features are essentially worthless to you. Yep. So, And this week's title at Tuesday on Twitter, the winner is Shane, at STO Shane, said, There's nothing greater than zero LLAP emoji. Uh, this this week's picture was a, a, a selfie of Kenna and uh, Maria Rosso from uh, Star Trek Online's uh, development team, uh, whose handle is Zeronius Rex or Zero. So there's nothing greater than Zero. Apparently, not even Kenna. So sorry, Kenna. Uh, that was so much fun. Yeah. Because um, she said yeah, you that you were actually, hyped for that. I was so you excited. Were hyped for I, that. I still have that wig. I need to find it. Oh yeah, um, you were cosplaying said, as Maria. Yeah. I was cosplaying <laughs> as her. <laughs> <laughs> Which she enjoyed. Um, she was actually had been watching some video of us doing an interview and, and was confused because she couldn't remember being interviewed. Because um, there was one interview that we did <laughs> where I was, because I was in cosplay that whole day. I was, right. I was cosplaying as her that whole day. And um, she was watching the video back going, I don't remember being interviewed. Of course, her hair was a little different. Uh, um, oh my God, I should cosplay as our, oh, I'd have to shave the goatee. No, wait. You have to shave your head. Al has a goatee. Yeah, Al has a goatee. Al has a goatee. You have, have, have bald to hat. wear a bald cap. I not shave my head. I'd wear a, a bald cap. Bald cap. Yeah, you just have to wear a bald cap. And you'd yeah. have to paint over your eyebrows. And about... And about a foot tall Cuban heels. <laughs> <laughs> stilts. I'd have to be on stilts. And no pants. And, and no, no pants. pants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been done. It's been yes. done. Do you remember yeah, Zach should. last year walked around in a Speedo the whole day? The Speedo and a Horgon. Oh my God. I should do it. I should totally do it. I won't do it. Won't do it. <laughs> All right. But okay. it's a good idea. <laughs> I should totally do I won't do it. And that wraps up episode 323 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, go to podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights at around 11pm Eastern. 
Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority on Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Speaking of Jake Morgan, a big thanks to him for spearheading all of our social media endeavors and extracurricular activities. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio, Trek Radio, and podcasts at Roddenberry.com. Thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Navy Boats Lou. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. everyone and whenever you open one of these packs what i know i don't know why i'm doing that you almost you almost went into a rap and whenever when we go with the (laughs) it's like eminem i i i I got more of a reggae beat there that's that's what i I got you the snow and she's going to inform her that's what i got that's what i intended priority one the rap show